You are listening to an audio sermon from Sovereign Grace Church Toronto. For more information, visit sovgracesto.org. Well, recently, my youngest son, John, has been accompanying me on my trips to Toronto Baptist Seminary, where I mentor several pastoral students right in the heart of the city. Uh, It's a long journey down. It usually takes two, two and a half hours, sometimes three and a half hours, depending on the the weather. And about two weeks ago, we were making an early trip down and we're talking in the car on the way. And I was commending him for the wonderful way that he remembers details and facts. If you know John well, he's got a remarkable memory. He's got a better memory than most people in this room. I'm quite sure of that. He uh, just draws details out of the stuff that he reads and holds, them, holds it in his head forever. So I was commending him for this amazing, really, gift that God's given him of being able to remember details and facts from things he reads. And then I said this to him. I said, you know, John, it's, uh, knowing a lot of facts is really important. Uh, it's an important part of knowledge. But now I want to kind of challenge you to jump to the next level in your understanding. Uh, when, you, when you read, to, to truly understand what you read, you, you need to comprehend not only just a whole bunch of isolated facts, but, but you need to know how these isolated facts and details are connected to one another. And then I gave him this illustration. I said, it's, it's kind of like a stranger who goes up to a train station platform where, where our entire family is gathered. And we're waiting for the train as well. Now imagine this, this uh, stranger is, is looking at us and all of us are there, myself and your mom, uh, your two brothers and sister, their spouses, along with your nephews and nieces. We're all, we're all standing at the platform along with the stranger But as the stranger looks at us, he doesn't know that we're all related to one another. He doesn't know that we're a big family. Uh, He only sees us as individuals. Imagine the difference, however, if he started to see the connections between the various people on the platform. Uh, He saw that that Chelsea was Stephen's wife, not Andrew's. That, that, That Saoirse is Andrew and Laura's child, not Michael and Laura's child. As he started to see the interconnections between the people, wow, uh, he would start to understand why certain ones behave the way they do and towards some in the the crowd and others relate differently. In other words, his understanding would, would increase exponentially as he saw not just individual pieces of information, but how they're interconnected and related. Often when another year of Christmas celebrations comes around, uh, we often revisit, especially as believers, we revisit details of the story that we're very familiar with, but we often fail to see how the, the various details of the Christmas story relate to one another, and especially to the larger storyline of the Bible. Uh, it's somewhat similar to remembering only one funny line from a movie that you've seen, but you don't remember at all what the movie was about, or what the theme was about, what the plot of the movie was about. And so today, I'd like to look at a, a simple phrase uh, 
that captures much of what Christmas is all about and look at it in light of the larger storyline of Scripture. And as we move along, I'd like to apply a few lessons to our heart so that we leave not just with more information, but actually with a, a true working knowledge that can potentially change the way we live from now on. Who was this child that we make so much of at Christmas? And why is his birth really worth celebrating? And what possible difference should a birth that happened 2,000 years ago make to us today? To help us to answer these questions, I want to spend the next several moments considering the phrase, who descended from heaven, who descended from heaven. Uh, The Christmas story describes a descent, a descent of epic proportions. And this descent reveals the very heart of what we celebrate together at Christmas. Now, there are a lot of places in the scriptures, in fact, there are a lot of places in the Christmas carols that this phraseology is used, but let me just read two verses that, that highlight this tremendous descent from heaven to earth that occurred. John 3, 13, in Jesus's great um, dialogue with, with the Pharisee Nicodemus, he said to him, no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the son of man. Later on in John, he says, I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Both of these verses express the same basic thought that the birth of Jesus was no ordinary birth. It was a visitation from another place, another realm, a visit from heaven. And unlike each of us, Jesus' birth was extraordinary and quite literally otherworldly. He did not have an earthly father like each one of us had. Jesus said to them, John 8, 42, if God were your father, you would love me for I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Later on in John, it says this, Jesus knowing that the father had given him had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God. Again, John 16, 28, I came from the Father and have come into the world and now I am leaving the world and I am going to the Father. Before each person in this room was conceived, you had no existence. But before Jesus was conceived, he existed eternally as the son of God. Think about this for a moment. Do you believe that Jesus was an honest and good man, a man of integrity? Is is Jesus somebody you can trust? When you you think about Jesus, do you think about Jesus as somebody that's, that's a good man, a trustworthy man? Because listen to what this man said about himself. 
in John 17. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, imagine having this conversation with with God in heaven. He says, and now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory I had with you before the world existed. Glorify me with the glory I had with you before the world existed. Now, I I realize that there are some here today that hearing something like that, it just sounds like silly nonsense, that no rational thinking person could possibly believe this stuff. And I agree with you that it is an amazing statement to say that somebody existed long before they were conceived in the womb. And yet, this is exactly what was predicted about Christ 600 years before he was born in the Old Testament. Listen to two prophets of the Old Testament that predicted the birth of Christ 600 years before his birth. That's like the 1400s for us. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, by the way, uh, if it had said, but you, Jerusalem, that would have been like, well, that's easy to predict that a king's gonna be born in, in the capital. But they, it, they, they mention a small little hamlet in Israel that was nothing. It's not nothing anymore. We all know about it, Bethlehem now, don't we? But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler In Israel, listen to what it says now, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Another prophet Isaiah said the following, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and his name shall be called Mighty God. To reject reject Christ's claims about his preexistence is to reject Christ. The, 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 the plain fact is this, that he either was who he said he was, or he was a deluded liar and a madman. To, to make the kind of claims he makes about himself in scripture does not make him a good man if he's, if he's lying. It makes him a madman. He is either who he says he is or he's somebody that you should have nothing to do with because he's crazy. Let's examine what the Bible says on this matter a little farther. Uh, Today, on this Christmas Sunday, I want to briefly ponder with you what the descent of Jesus reveals about his position and his purpose and the implications for each one of us here today. First of all, let's consider that what what Christ's descent reveals about his position, what what Christ's descent reveals about his position. The very um, phrase to descend implies that you have come from somewhere high and you are going somewhere low. It implies that you, the starting place was great and the landing place was far below that. The Bible uses the word highness 
to reveal God's ultimate position in the universe. It's, it's a sort of a code word in the Bible for the godness of God. Uh, it, it talks about his supreme place of authority and grandeur in the universe. And, and often when the Bible talks about God's highness, it is, it is connected with his holiness. And his holiness is also essentially means his separateness from us, which kind of plays into his highness. He's far away from us. He's way above us. And so we find verses like the following in scripture. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the most high. The most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. Those of you who are familiar with the Christmas story know that that Jesus is announced to be the son of the most high God. It says in Luke 1, he will be great and will be called the son of the most high, the high God. The angel said to Mary, the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the most high will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy the son of God. <clears throat> the, the descent of Jesus then points to his divine place and position, that, that Christ came from the very heights of heaven down to the depths of the earth. This was the most distant and dangerous journey that's ever been undertaken by anyone. Ephesians 4, 9 says, he descended into the lower regions, the earth. So how are we to respond to this amazing truth? Well, the consensus through the ages is clear and reflected in our Christmas carols. Listen with new ears to words many of you know so well. Christ by highest heaven adored Christ the everlasting Lord late in time behold him come offspring of a virgin's womb veiled in flesh the Godhead see hail which means to recognize and praise and exalt hail the incarnate deity pleased as man with man to dwell Jesus, our Emmanuel. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Fall on your knees, O hear the angel voices, O night divine, the night when Christ was born. Saints before the altar bending, watching long in hope and fear, suddenly the Lord descending in his temple shall appear. Come and worship, come and worship, worship 
Christ, the newborn king. Word of the Father, now in flesh appearing. O come, let us adore him. O come, let us adore him. O come, let us adore him. Christ the Lord. Are you sitting here today listening to this message in a detached way? Or are you seeing yourself in the story responding like the angels, responding like the the magi, responding like the shepherds, worshiping the divine origins of Christ? Is, Is your heart worshiping yet? All the hustle and bustle of Christmas. I so often feel that Christmas passes me by before I even hardly think about it. Um, it's, it, it's a blur. So much on the schedule. Is your heart worshiping yet? If not, what, what's stopping you from worshiping? Is there something more worthy of worship that you found in your life than this? Yes, Christ's descent tells us something about his position and place in the universe. But it tells us more than that. It, it, it also reveals something about his purpose. The purpose for why he came. So number two is what Christ's descent reveals about his purpose. Not just what it reveals about his position, but his purpose. His position is who he is. His, his uh, purpose is why he came. In the earliest pages of scripture, we, we, we read about the patriarch Jacob, who during his flight away from his brother Esau, had a vivid dream one night. And in his dream, he saw a ladder that spanned the infinite divide between heaven and earth. Let me read that to you in Genesis 28. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it, the ladder. It isn't until the New Testament that we are given insight into the profound meaning of Jacob's dream. Jesus explains it in John 1 to Nathanael. He said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on, not the ladder, on the Son of Man. The ladder spanning the massive chasm chasm between heaven and earth is not an object. It's a person. The angels were ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Later on in Genesis, Joseph, who was Jacob's son, foretells why God is spanning this enormous gap, why, why there is this connection being made between the eternal heights of heaven and the lowliness of earth. And Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. 
God was going to visit them, speaking about taking them out of the, the land of Egypt where there were captives and slaves. In the New Testament book of Acts, the martyr Stephen quotes God about the same event, saying the following, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their groaning, and listen what it says, and I have come down to deliver them. I've come down to deliver them. Yes, the the coming down to deliver his people from captivity pointed to something very great. There was this coming down from God many times in the Old Testament. He came down and talked to Moses. He came down and talked to the prophets. He came down and, and delivered his people from captivity. And then it tells us in Luke 1, giving us a clear understanding of what it was all pointing toward. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Matthew tells us that the virgin would bear a son and that she should call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. The name Jesus, of course, is the Greek rendition of the Hebrew word Joshua. Joshua and Jesus. If we were to call Josh by a Greek word, we'd call him Jesus. That would be a little weird, wouldn't it? But, but Jesus, well, either you go down to South America and you meet people whose name is Jesus. Isn't that right, Floor? Um, Jesus and Joshua are the same word in two different languages. And, and it means God saves You will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Much later in the the Old Testament, the the great prophet Isaiah begged God to come down and visit his people and his power. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, and that the mountains might quake at your presence. And of course, that prayer was answered beyond his wildest dreams. But amazingly, rather than God descending in a way where the mountains quaked at his presence, he came quietly. His throne was not regal and glorious, but instead a lowly manger. And his attendants were not strong, muscled men with spears, but barnyard animals. How silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given. So God imparts to human hearts the blessings of his heaven. No ear may hear his coming, but in this world of sin, where meek souls will receive him still, the dear Christ enters in. Just as Christ descended to the lowest place from the heights of heaven, so my friends, he is willing to descend all the way down to your heart if you will open it to him. If the purpose of his descent was to deliver his people, then the right response is to receive his deliverance, to let him save you from your sin, to be reconciled to God. No ear may hear his coming, but in this world of sin, 
Where meek souls will receive him still, the dear Christ enters in. In fact, going on in that wonderful carol, a little town of Bethlehem, the words of the carol can be more than just lyrics to a song. They can become your prayer as you call out to trust in Christ. O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in. Be born in us today. We hear the Christmas angels, the great glad tidings tell. Oh, come to us. Abide with us, our Lord, Emmanuel. The way we respond to the descent of Christ requires everything from us. Our deepest worship, our most profound trust. The heights where he came from reveal who he is. And they compel us, if we think about it and respond to it honestly, they compel us to fall down and worship him. And when we further comprehend why he came from such holy heights to such sinful lives, when we realize it was for our salvation, our forgiveness, that we might be made right with him, what can we do but give ourselves fully and completely to him in return? Have you ever done that? Have you done that? With all that's going on in your life, all the many struggles that are visible, the invisible struggles as well, are you willing to to stop worshiping other things? Stop worshiping all your stuff? Your career? Your family? Stop worshiping your plans, your body. Some people spend more time looking in the mirror than they ever look in the Bible. Stop worshiping our reputations, sexual pleasure, your money. You're not, never going to get around to worshiping Christ if your, your heart is, is at another treasure. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, Jesus said. Because Jesus alone is worthy of our devotion, our praise, our adoration, and our worship. Will you, will you trust him today with your entire life? Will you do that now? Where meek souls will Receive him still, the dear Christ enters in.